Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. Along with my partner, Brian Siegler, my name is Curtis Wilson. And Brian, today, the Hokies fall 38-35 to Liberty. And it's it's late. It's 1030. Yep. It's Saturday night where I'm pounding on a Doppel Vienna lager. You've got some Bach there. And tonight... We call these recap episodes. This isn't a recap episode tonight, or at least not of this game. This is a recap episode of the current coaching staff at this university. State of the program. Yeah. (laughs) Perfect way to put it. Because what happened today is inexcusable. On both sides of the football, and me and Brian, a little after the game for about 35 minutes, we we chatted, Brian. I'm up in my attic working. I got the earbuds in. Me and Brian are talking back and forth. And he's like, man, let's, do you want to just go do this now? And I'm like, Brian, we got to calm down. <laughs> if not, it's going to be more explicit <laughs> F-bombs in this episode than we've ever done in, our, in, in, in any point in time. But – we could go into the details of the uh, of what happened, and it's a lot of shit. It's a lot of the shit we've seen before. It's a lot of shit that makes us angry, but we're not. We're going to break this down onto several levels, again, of the state of the program and of the coaching staff. A little earlier today, Brian hit me with something, talking about the way we do things, and we looked back and we pointed out that there have been essentially six games in the last five years. Take that back. Seven games since Justin Fuente took over as head coach that boggle the mind of why we lose. Syracuse in 2016, Georgia Tech in 2017, ODU in 2018, the Boston College and the Duke game in 2019, and this year so far, Wake and Liberty today. Big man, you brought it up. Go. I am tired, man, and I'm not just saying that because it's 10:37 on a Saturday night. I am tired of watching this football team play down to sub competition and then hope for the best because we we do it. Once or twice every single year. And when we do it, it feels like we're just like the coaching staff is out there flailing. Yep. It's like once once the trouble hits against these lesser comp- lesser competition, we just forget what to do. I mean, the, the only area that I would say we did well in today is I mean I'm going to actually give the offensive line some credit I think they did a pretty good job today 
couple flags that uh, I'd like to see cleaned up, but overall a decent game for them. But and Hendon Hooker just he, he balled out when he needed to, and we called his number a whole lot, probably more than I am comfortable with on a given game. Mm-hmm. But this is Liberty, folks. I know they're ranked number twenty-five, and they have some talent. They have talent at certain areas, but most of their team is full of three-star or less talent. Yep. They have what eight three-star players. We have. Oh, God. How many? Uh, I don't even know. The entire roster? 40 to 50. Three stars. Yeah, so, I mean, there's no reason we shouldn't be all over this team. And the only thing that it comes down to is coaching. I mean, we've got the talent to beat them. So, we got flat out out coached today. And there's no other way to spin it or excuse it. Or anything like that. We were out coached, and it started at 15 minutes in the first quarter. Woo-hoo-hoo. All right, hold like, on, Ron. From, from kickoff. You know, I missed the first half because I was at a baseball game. So I'll let you divulge a little bit into that. I mean, for, first series, gash up the middle, gash up the middle. Um, what did I talk about when we recorded on Thursday night? with the defensive tackle. So who did I say should be playing front line? Who did I say should be playing second line? You said Crawford and Kendricks and Fuga and Hewitt. And me and you have talked about this on this program, and we've talked about it outside this. Teams that run the fucking ball, and I just dropped the first F-bomb. I don't know if y'all want to keep count tonight. (laughs) Run the fucking ball, that's two now. When you are running Jared Hewitt, Freaking heart of a line, Noral Pollard, heart of a line will fight. Guys, you want to take into a brawl brawl with you. Don't get me wrong. They're 286 pounds, and I'm assuming Norrell's like 270 on a good day. I saw inside zone on that first drive because I got home, we got to halftime, and I looked at Brian said, look at the first two defensive drives, and it's inside zone, and they're literally just getting pushed. And I'm sitting here, and Luckily, I got Brian. Some of y'all don't have somebody like Brian that I can talk to. Like, Brian, what the fuck are we doing? You're just like, I don't know. I don't know why we're continuously letting undersized defensive tackles against teams that will run the fucking ball. Yeah, I mean, we got to balance this thing out, man. I have no problem with – I mean, obviously Kendricks and and, uh, Hewitt, as you said – I mean, Pollard and Hewitt, sorry, are guys that play hard and – Especially Pollard, I love having on um, obvious passing downs, but and like I said, I love Hewitt and all the work he puts into the program. But at some point, you've got to say this is our deficiency. We need to clean up this deficiency. And if you're seeing consistently when teams are running the ball against you, and your defensive tackles are not able to hold their gap and let them give the linebackers a chance to make a play. We'll get to the linebackers here shortly. Uh, (laughs) Let the linebackers make a play. That's a problem. And Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just, I'm baffled that we're still this far into the season guys getting healthy. Um, I don't know if after the game, if this was subtweeting the staff or subtweeting the fans, but Crawford saying, 
nah, I'm not hurt. Y'all can stop talking about that. Yeah, I don't know if that's a subtweet against the staff for not getting him in there more consistently or if that's subtweet the fans for talking so much shit about it. But whatever it is, I mean, I, I feel like we're starting to see a locker room that is getting frustrated, and I'm not sure if it's with the expectations and just not following through or if it's with the coaching staff or it's both, but I'm starting to get like 2018 vibes here. Oh, even though this team is way more talented. In terms so much of, more talented. So and, much and I'm not saying they're going to end up with a record like 2018. I'm saying in terms of the feel of the season, like it feels dire. It feels like we don't have, we're rudderless. Like, Every time we feel like we're riding the ship, we get a broadside from a team that has no business running with us like Liberty or like in earlier this year, like Wake. Wake. It's true, man. It's true. And it's we're going into it, and it's seven now in essentially five seasons. And we, we sit here, and today a lot of the stuff you talked about, we didn't have Juice Herbert. That's okay. We're still more talented than them. No. But what it is is you just – what I feel, Brian, and I didn't feel this last week in Louisville, but I felt it this week at home. Our sideline is fucking dead, regardless yep. of the play that happens. Our sidelines are fucking dead. And honestly, it wasn't like that out the gate this season. I felt like we started the season – I mean, we and, and they talked about it all off stage, the whole, like, bring your own fucking juice. Like, well, no one's bringing fucking juice consistently now. Nobody. Nobody. There's nobody when there are plays made. Last week it was Dax, and Dax was on the field this week, and I know you're going to probably hit that at some point tonight as we talk and drink beer and watch Clemson Notre Dame on our televisions here. But there was no juice. I saw Liberty, somebody would be popped out of bounds, and you'd see somebody jump up, and they're, man, they're they're fired up. They're patting their guy on their head. We get a tackle, and this guy's like, huh? And when the sidelines are dead, especially in, in, in what's going on, you know, with no fans, and we're going to hit that. Don't, don't believe me, we will, because it's a lot of shit going on. You've got to motivate yourself. Yep. And I hate to say this. Because last week you felt like it was something there, right? You saw guys up. You've seen it earlier. Would you be opposed, Brian, to telling 20 guys, I don't care if we're at home, go sit your ass in Merriman and watch a game? You know what? Before the, we traveled to Louisville, after the, the wake debacle, uh, we talked about how the Louisville travel squad was going to be smaller Yep. because of some of the shenanigans on the sideline. Yep. And I think we saw a little bit better action against Louisville and, you know, right, right back to it with the home game. And you've got pretty much everybody out there on the sideline and you mm-hmm. see a similar type situation this week. So, I mean, that that's a frustrating look. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I'm going to go a step further than that. It, it wasn't just the sidelines, man. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say, Mostly on defense, the defense doesn't have a a swagger, a killer instinct, uh, dogs. I mean, I feel like th- these players have the potential to, to, to be that, but we're not – the coaching staff is not getting them there. I, I agree. They haven't, they haven't yet. 
when I when I look at this defense play, I feel like we have good players that occasionally play good, but we don't have dogs that are asserting the action. They're they're not out there saying we're gonna fucking come at you, we're gonna knock the shit out of you, and yep. at some point we're going to make a big play and turn this thing around. But right now, no one is afraid of this defense. This defense does not strike fear in the heart of anyone. And I'm not just saying that from a perspective of, you know, we don't have a cam chancellor. I'm saying that is we don't do anything across the board that makes teams have to really scheme hard to take away. And we don't have enough killer instinct where we're, kind of winning the fight before, you know, we're even off the bus. Like there used to be something about playing a hokey defense that was in people's heads even before the first snap. And we do not have that anymore. No, that's, that's the honest truth, man. There were times, again, me and Brian have roughly been fans since 1995. And were we always the most talented? No, we weren't. Honest truth. But you talk about the dogs, and it's missing this year. There's missing that one vocal guy or that one guy who will just hit the living shit out of somebody and literally stand over them and say, fuck you. Fuck you. You do it again, I'm going to hit you again. And immediately it's a mentality thing. Do I think there are some guys on this defense that could be that? Absolutely. Why aren't they vocal, though? Usually, Brian, you coach some high school football. You were coached in college. You were coached in high school. Usually there's a coach that will, I'm not going to say override the head coach, but kind of give the head coach. I'm assuming there's somebody that would give the head coach a huge goose. Hey, you let Bob say what the fuck he wants to say to them on that field. And you don't say, hey, we don't do that. You let him go out there and get them fired up and get them feeling it. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, at uh, at Hamden Sydney, that those those guys were uh, Chris Scott and Daniel Park. <laughs> Shout out to y'all, y'all if you're listening. Um, obviously, some of uh, our listeners probably are very familiar with Chris Scott. Um, Anybody in the seven five seven coaching down the seven five seven. Yeah, so if y'all seen Chris Scott give a a pregame or a postgame, um, y'all know the intensity that he brings, and he brought that same level of intensity when he was playing on the field. He was the leader out there. He was the dog. People followed him. And I feel like we have leaders by example on the field, but we don't have those guys that are assertive and, like, the, the take-your-will type type players right now. And I'm not even going to say players, but – just consistently having those um, performances. Like you don't see, I haven't seen anybody take over a game yet. And I mean, let's go ahead while we're here, while we're talking about players in general, I'm going to give a shout out to Amari Barno, who in week one was a guy that I considered more of a situational one down player that was being asked to do more than he should. And now he is, the best player on the defense, at least he was today. He was today. And you talk about one down, Brian. It wasn't even one down specifically. It was one and plus six yards Yes, that he would come in. One and plus six yards. And that MFR, give, he is a dog. And you know what? Maybe he is the type of guy that if somebody can get in his ear, maybe it's 55 who's on the sidelines now. 
can tell him, you got to bark at them. And if they say something to you, know we got your back. Because he seems like that kind of guy. Because today, man, watching the pieces I've watched, he was all over the place. And he was doing everything. His, I look at Amari Barno right now, Brian, and that motor in his body. He gets 15 more pounds on him. And he gets up to 260, 265. That motherfucker's going to the NFL. And not only going to the NFL with how he looks and how inexperienced he is. <clears throat> like right now he's raw as hell and taking that many steps this this quickly. I mean, it, it's it's impressive. So I, I'm going to give the shout out to him. But what I'm going to pivot to now is just kind of the overall linebacker play today. And I'm going to start with not being aware of why Alan Tisdale was not starting this game. I don't know if this was a team rule situation because we didn't see him until after the first quarter or something else that happened, or this was just, well, we didn't start Dax last week, so we're getting him back in there. Like I have no idea what the, the, the thought process was in this decision, but it was bad. Um, we looked better when he was in there. Um, that's no doubt. And that's not saying that we look good at any point on defense the entire day. <laughs> oh, no, as, not as a unit. But that's saying that the snaps that Alan Tisdale played, we looked better than the snaps he didn't. Um, I mean, obviously, Rook getting nicked, you know, early hurts. Second quarter, that hurt. Um, you know, Barno even came out for, like, I think a series when, when he got nicked up. So, um, it's okay. Next or next? Yeah, that's what's happening in football. So yeah, so but you know, as I, it, I know fans love Dax. Dax played too many snaps today between Mike and many. Backer. He was out there way too much, and it it showed. You know, for all his good abilities, bad abilities, whatever, Dax still struggles at making decisions fast enough and shedding blockers. It's the old Bud Foster statement. His head aren't in alignment with his feet. Yeah. And that's – it's why so many times and, – and everybody's like, well, Bud loved Dax. Well, Bud was forced to put Dax in that situation. And I don't think he felt comfortable with Tisdale quite yet last year. If Bud was still here this year, would, would Dax be at backer? I don't know. But Foster yeah. always talked about guys who can't get this and this together will never make it because if you can't make this and this, think is one, you're fucked, basically. Um, can I say this, Brian? Oh, I think the game is over. They picked up that PI flag, which was bullshit, by the way. That should have been a flag. All right. Anyway, sorry. That's what happens when we're watching live drinking beer. It's like we're sitting in the we're like we're sitting in the same room together talking. But the one thing I will say about Dak, especially last week. You missed his juice on the sidelines, right? Yep, definitely. Every big play last week, give Dax all the credit in the world. And you, whether you like him, hate him, or whatever, he was legitimately, unless he was in the game, he was literally cheering every fucking play from the sideline. And you need guys like that. So it's almost like, hey, coach, don't let Dax play. What do you want to do? Let him go fucking cheer. He's got two more years of eligibility. It's cool. 
He can yeah. still play for two years. Let him get those guys. When we make a first down, swing the towel. When somebody makes a good play on defense, right at the sideline, clapping it up. But there's no juice. There is no urgency. And, Brian, there's a reason when we were in our – I don't want to say prime because I feel like our prime, I don't think we hit it yet. When we were in our 20s, yep. there is a reason Lane Stadium – was the most fucking feared place to play in, in the entire country. More than Death Valley, both of them. More than Touchdown Jesus, more than Swamp, more than T-Town, more than Plains. And, man, I, I think I, I, we're missing it. As a team, we're missing staying there. We got to stay in there. It's almost a year now. Yep. Almost a year now. East stands, upper left, near north end zone where we could see the guys walk in. And the folks around us, the the energy that was put out. We're, we're missing it as a team. Yeah, I mean, as much as we talk about they, they need to bring their own juice, because, I mean, obviously we're not the only uh, fan base that's dealing with this. And yeah. so we, we need to be able to create that our own. But, you know, you're a fool if you'd say that that's not missing from – from this team, that was always an element of what um, playing in Lane Stadium was about: was the crowd noise, the um, obviously the entrance, just kind of that psychological element. Before the, the, echo first. the way the stadium yeah. built was to for noise to go to the opposing sideline. Yeah, I mean we're we're missing that badly, like across the board. Um, so it's just, and we're not the only team. So, I mean, you know, obviously every, a lot of people are dealing with this and some of the other hot, some other high profile teams are dealing with it just as badly as we are in some cases. Uh, well, shit, dude, Michigan last week, Michigan last week. I mean, yeah. we got Penn state this week. Um, who else lost one today that, that was at home. Hold on. High caliber team. There was a couple higher caliber teams that lost today. We were not the only oh, ones. That, I, mean, let's also, I mean, we'll talk about another team that isn't necessarily high caliber, but they have a hell of a atmosphere at home, and that's Tennessee. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely Tennessee. I mean, Tennessee's two and three. They got smoked by Bama. They they got destroyed by Kentucky at home. You know, you expect more fights. And hold on. There was somebody else that lost today, and I got to figure that out real quick or I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> Um, as I scroll through, as I scroll through, I'll say this, Kansas State, Oklahoma State today, Oklahoma State pulled that out. Oklahoma State at one point in time in that game, they were down 12, nothing. Yeah. You see, I think that's an element for a lot of teams. And, uh, but at the same time, as we've said, man, We've got to bring our own juice, and we, we can't get into these lulls um, from a sideline perspective, and we need to start asserting ourselves more on defense. I feel like we're we're in so much react mode now. We're not dictating the terms to any offense. Can, can I ask this? Yeah. All right, your ham, you, it's tough to dictate terms. There's things that go on. Is there a game, and I don't even care if it's next week, I don't care if it's two weeks from now when we play Pitt, I don't care if it's next month. 
Is there a game where he goes bud and just says, we're going to send six or seven every time. I don't give a shit. I want you guys just to play without thinking. You know what? We get gashed for some runs and from passes. Fuck it. Because this isn't working. We Today we lost by a thousand cuts. The pace Liberty played at, good God almighty, you could have served fucking Christmas dinner at the pace they were playing today. Yep. They, uh, does he say what, that? They got that first touchdown. And like from thenceforward, they knew they were just going to limit the possessions for our offense. And all we had to do was, you know, have a couple fuck up drives and all of a sudden they're in the, in the driver's seat, man. And that's exactly what happened. We had a couple drives where we went three and out. We had a couple drives where we settled for field goals. And that was the fucking difference in the game. It's very true. And probably the biggest today, and this is a, I actually got to hear this on the radio. We got out of baseball. My wife took my oldest son over to the, the grandparents. Um, a, because I think sometimes me watching, A, she hadn't, how about this? My wife did a sweet thing. I hadn't had to sit a chance to sit and watch a game by myself and take notes in like three weeks. Because my mom was in town one time. We had to go to the neighbors one time. And there were some other things going on one time. So today it's kind of like she let me have mom. And I'm sitting here and I pull up in the driveway. And I'm listening to the laser and burn up on the radio. And it's eight seconds left, Brian. Jalen Holston has just broke a 12-yard gain to get inside the five. We're at the four-yard line. There is a timeout left. There is eight seconds. And I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there, Brian, and I'm like, you run the ball. You 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 just got a massive gain. This is the strength of your team. Yep. You have probably the best offensive line, I near say since 2003, when Jake Grove and those I, I guys would, were on there. I'd probably agree with that. Now, you can look at Dwayne's lines in the mid-2000s and say they were just as good. But to me, it's the Jake Grove lines. I felt like we could for our dominance. And we run a goddamn fade. Brian, you played football. How long does it take to set up a fade route? Uh, you're probably talking about five seconds. Maybe so six. if that play is ran, which, you know, it's a, it's a to me, even with good guys like we have, it's a toss-up play still because the ball's got to be perfect if they get their hand. It's a play you will not turn the ball over on, but it takes time. Um, we run that and I'm sitting here in the car listening and I'm like, why the fuck wouldn't we run the ball? Why didn't yeah, time out of the run? Um, the run had been working. Um, it, yes. it, it, it boggles the mind, man. It boggles the mind. We were, we we're talking about consistently in these make or break moments for the offense. And I, and my biggest criticism of Brad Cornelson is not his overall play calling. It is his, he just sometimes clams up in the big moments, man. And I feel like a couple times in this game he did. And he had, he had one call that kind of redeemed him a little bit later with the call to throw the slant to Caleb instead of, uh, you know, running it there when we went to uh, tie it up. Overall, man, it just these key moments seem to always uh, 
never work in our favor. And while we're at key moments no. not working in our favor, let's go ahead and discuss the end of the game. Oh, God. <laughs> Hold on. Stop for a second. Oh, you got to catch that, son. What I'm doing is I'm currently finishing a beer because I have another one sitting here. Brian's saying this. I might have to go grab another one from the beer fridge, boys. <laughs> All right. Yeah. What I mean, anybody that watched the fucking <laughs> Which one? What do you want to hit first? All right. So let's let's head. let's start with the timeout. Oh my! It's a fucking sixty-yard field goal. You don't ice. You don't. The excuse was don't. he you... wanted to get the right personnel in there. Number one. You better drop an F bomb on this. Number one, you obviously had the fucking right unit in there because you blocked the fucking kick. Number two, perfectly. Right now, in my opinion, the the best coach on this staff has been Shy Best. Yes, he has. Trust the best coach on your staff this season. Keep that timeout. Oh, fuck. Sorry. <laughs> Live recording, guys. This is what you get. If you guys are wondering what we're cursing, what we just dropped the big F-bomb and we stopped, Notre Dame, 50-yarder seam because there's nobody in the middle of the field. Yes, James Chavez has been the best fucking coach on this team. <laughs> but by a, a pretty big measure in some cases, and uh, you didn't trust him in that situation. Yeah, you called a timeout. You supposedly, I guess, whispered it, and then just at the last second yelled it. Um, I just, how about this? Trust your best coach to get the right guys on the field, and then Absolutely. don't ice the kicker that's kicking a 59-plus yard field goal. It's not, it's not, it's not rocket science, man. No, oh, it's, it's not. I saw that play and I, you, I had like 10 people hit me. And then they hit me about 50 seconds later. And it was just like, you're kidding, right? You're kidding. This is the it's way. It's literally kidding. snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Literally, that's what it is. <laughs> Literally. So, after that horrific, horrific situation, we're scrambling because we think we won the game. We forget the down and distance, and we put a prevent defense in uh, like we're expecting a Hail Mary. Not even down and distance, time on clock. Yeah, it's, it's both. It's, it's, it's a combination of the two. Like, You've got fourth and six with eight seconds left, and you've got your 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 Hail Mary team out there. <laughs> and they do exactly what you think they're going to do. They throw a quick out, get out of bounds, seven and a half yards. Now all of a sudden the 59er becomes a, a 51, and they roll out their fucking Rambo kicker, and he nails it. Nailed it down the pipe. And, I mean, and that, that's 100% on Jay Ham, and I'm surprised that no one was in his ear to change that call. 
because true apparently no one else knew the situation just like him. <laughs> I, I just it, it it baffles me that I mean we deserve to lose based on those two calls. Those two calls that, alone, and that's after the clown show of coaching that we did up to that point. <laughs> that's true. It's it's very true because you sit here and you sit it's and I'm sitting here and it's a 59 yarder. I don't even think time out. I'm like this is a six yard field. This guy's they're, they're doing this by chance. He kid has the kick of his life. Yep, of his life and he nails it. I would just sit there and said cool because if he misses it, you're sitting here and you've got you're gonna be because that's a 59 yarder. That's from the 39. You actually have a chance to run one play downfield. Like, don't waste time out. Screw it. You didn't use it early enough. Yeah. And, again, I mean. We did a good job to, to press them to fourth down so they had to, to take the chance and kick it. Yes. One of the we, one few times that we actually today um, stopped them on third or fourth down because those some bitches all damn day, Brian. I mean, we're I'm, you're looking here and you're kind of like we talked about it and how big of a key it is that we've got to start getting stops. We didn't get any motherfucking stops today. We got none. Basically, Brian, the team today they were ten of seventeen on third and fourth down. I'd like to be ten of seventeen. We were six of twelve. So you sit here and it's just like. Again, the whole question is your point. The best coach, he's going to put the best on the field. And if you look at the way that was set up, it was a perfect inside little move. The two outside guys did not charge. They literally got up and stopped because their thought was if they block it. Yeah, we're, we're there to make the play. We're yeah. going to make the play. And, and it, it, was, it was set up well. They knew that from that distance that the trajectory of the kick is going to be lower than normal. So you need to get pressure up the middle. It's not going to be something where you're to have much success getting pressure on the edge. You have a lot more higher probability of blocking it by going up the middle. True. It was, it was perfectly done and returned for a touchdown. And then. No, it wasn't. At that point. What little life I had after watching that game got sucked. I was like, oh, we're, we're losing this one, man, and we deserve to. <laughs> You're like, regardless what happens. Regardless I mean, I was already at the point after when they when we had to give up a touchdown in order to stay in this game, I was already at the point, win or lose, I'm railing about this thing. And then that had like, so <laughs> it's just like I was already like past a point of – this being acceptable. You passed the point of rescue? Like, there's no yeah, rescue. I was, I was already passed that before. Like, I would have been happy that we won, but I wouldn't have been happy about how we won. And I would have bitched about it to the end of the earth. And then that happened. So we get to do double bitching here, which is oh, not wow. anything I want to do, but I feel like it's something we need to do. It's both therapeutic because we get our feelings out. Yes, and we, we uh, get to actually address some of the things that are going on that we think probably long-term need to be looked at. It's true. And Brian, you talk about long-term and we mentioned on Thursday's podcast that the pickup of Jaden Keller and man, after what's happened this year, we're four and three, you know, North Carolina game, we can write off 
two bad losses, you can't. Yeah. Baylor flirtation, you can't. And you don't think right now the big guy that it feels like that we might lose, and it's it's kind of coming down because he's getting more and more interest. I don't know if this kid has grown or just his tape has become more and more um, accessible. I mean, Cannon Boone is starting to pick up offers and more interest from some of your big dogs. USC is one of the big ones. You don't think be, – be honest, Brian. Let me, let me ask you this. You are uh, – you know what? Let's go big. You're Lincoln Riley. You love Cannon Boone as a left tackle. And he hadn't offered him yet, but – you see, Link. You see, Cannon Boone. What he does. You see his body type. He'd do good at Oklahoma, probably, right? Yep. What do you think, Lincoln Riley and their coaching staff is walking in, saying to him? They're saying we might lose one or two games a year, and the team that you have committed to is losing to Liberty. Um, I mean, right now, let's 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 go a step further than that. All right. right now, two G5 schools in our own state can negative recruit us. Mm-hmm. It's true. That- On top of that, recent history, our two closest ACC division rivals can negative recruit us. UVA okay. and UNC. Yep. It's, it's, it's a negative barrel because – Right now, the way we've looked is it's it's bad on the paper. Because when you ask if a kid wants to go play for four and three school that's losing to G5 schools that can't get their shit together, that at times look inept on offense, that defensively, like, what the fuck are you trying to do? Yeah, it's easy. It's easy to negative recruit us right now. It's yep. so fucking easy. And then you talk about the Baylor flirtation, and you know some people say now, well, he ain't gonna never get another G, uh, another P five job if he gets fired from Tech. Yeah, but kids can't see that. Kids see why? Why was he thinking about leaving? Why was he thinking about leaving and going down there? You know, it's different when you're eighteen because we've been eighteen before, and me and Brian actually had some funny conversations because tonight. Looks like the lights are off now, Brian. I think they just had a few people over. Maybe they heard me. <laughs> I, by the way, oh, man. almost this close to being like, y'all out of town? Do the pops. <laughs> oh, a little rowdy over there, huh? Uh, well, I could hear them. No, no, not rowdy. Those kids couldn't be rowdy. <laughs> they really couldn't. They're, they're too nice a kid, man. Um, they're, they're, they're not... Like they are not like 16 or 17 and 18 years old where we were wild and freaking get out and doing a bunch of stupid shit. Um, although, I do think, oh, and by the way, that's Robbie's boy. You see that? Yeah. Cornell. Good for him. Live again, guys. Live podcasting. Uh, Cornell Powell, 17 for Clemson, who was recruited by Virginia Tech. Uh, our friend. Ooh, he's in the end zone. Our friend Robbie actually coached him in high school. Robbie has met Frank. He's met Bud. He's met Dad. 
Robbie has probably met more D1 collegiate football coaches than most people. Yep. So he's the sort of guy I'm sure that has heard negative recruiting <laughs> from coaches before. Oh, you going to send your guy there? I don't know if you want to do that because it doesn't stop at the player level. It doesn't stop at the parent level. You don't think those coaches are hearing it? It's true, man. It's true. It's true. So, you know, um, it, it, it's one of those things you just sit here and it's just, that's a touchdown. That's the first play. By the way, I wish one day in my dreams, see my, my old NCAA games, when your starting quarterback goes down, who's the 99, the 98 comes in to replace him. oh man I mean you used to get like do that in the early NCAAs where you could like create your own roster and that you could pretty much load up attribute points across the board but they finally said hey we're we're not going to be able to allow that because you know well guess what they need to if they come back they need to change their fucking format because clearly if you're a elite level school the number one quarterback, even with someone in front of him for a couple of years, will likely, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll commit there. Fuck it. That church money, man. <laughs> Wait a second. Who is it that always talks about the church money? Hokey <laughs> Pharmacist, right? Yeah. Hokey Pharmacist. Shout out Hokey Pharmacist Shout for Hokey your Pharmacist. funny tweets about the uh, church uh, fundage for the Clemson Tigers. But it's true. It's damn true. You can say what you want to say because Travis Etienne. Actually, Travis Etienne should be the running back for my 49ers right now when all the stuff he does is good. <laughs> Folks, have y'all can, can y'all not tell that we're a few drinks deep? I don't know, yeah. Brian. I told I took a shot before we started tonight. Just I hadn't drank all day because again, baseball come in and watch a game. I have to do some things afterwards. I have to go up in my attic where on a 75 degree day in the attic turns 95. Yeah, Got to make more space for uh, certain things. Um, yeah, I, uh, so I started with beer during the game. Uh, we did breakfast for, dinner. breakfast for dinner. I had eggs, bacon, mm. and uh, sausage gravy and biscuits. And had had some uh, mimosas with dinner. <laughs> and then I pivoted back to beer. Lord, Brian, it's like you were on a damn. You almost went. I'm going to assume, Brian. Hold on, let me assume. You do not smash beers from twelve till dinner. No, no, I wasn't pounding today. This is more okay. of a. Uh, I had, I had things going on, so I was drinking beer while I was doing stuff, watching the game, throwing stuff at the television. You know. You sip some. This isn't old school because, by, by the way, believe it or not. In Brian and I's younger days, if you would have told me, well, Brian started drinking beer at lunch, he drank beers all afternoon, and then he started pounding mimosas at dinner time, and then he switched back to beer, it'd be like, and? Yup. <laughs> <laughs> what y'all should know is one time, well, a little story of Brian. Remember that time, me, your roommate, and Dom? Yep. And the cooler? <laughs> oh, yeah. 2002? 
Actually, I think it was three. I think it was three. 2003, basically, you're playing those years, because I'm not at Longwood yet. Y'all get to hear a story here, y'all. As we'll turn back to Hogan talking in a little while, but well, basically, we're like, well, we want to freaking make some fucking jungle juice. We've got a cooler here. Brian has, obviously, someone 21 on his team, and his roommate's like, yeah, let's do this shit. Shout out Jay Bird. He was, he was my go-to. <laughs> Fast motherfucker, too, wasn't he? <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. But anyway, we decide to go make a damn vat of jungle juice in a fucking cooler and take it over to Brian's athletic house. I don't still try to remember, because we, we're sitting in your room for, what, probably two hours just fucking pounding beer. Right. Here, here's our theory. So... We were like, you know, we already have this liquor. We could go to the party, wait in line for drinks, or we could bring this cooler, stash it somewhere, and just go and refill at our leisure. (laughs) So we said, yes, we will carry this cooler halfway across campus in order to have unlimited refills for the night. Pretty much. But getting it across campus because it was like a two two mile hike. We had to go across the football field, um, then into Frat Circle, which it could be a nightmare, <laughs> and then up the hill to where the TAC house was. So ultimately, <laughs> ultimately, we it, it was it was an interesting night, and we drank. All of it. Just about all of it, I'm pretty sure. There there wasn't a whole lot sloshing well, around there at the end. It was four of us, right? It was four yeah, of us. It, it was, it was me, Earl Grants, but it was, it was four it was of me, us. you, Brian, and, and Dom. Yeah. And, uh, well, I'm sure we gave some to girls. And oh, yeah, I'm friends. sure we were trying to get some girls on it. But it was essentially <laughs> what? It was, a, it was a half gallon and a fifth, and yeah. then a, a mix. In this massive, a it's like we're having to walk. A who was no Dom had to carry it because me and you sat. We me you and Brian were very intelligent about that. We <laughs> sat there and said, Dom, you got to carry this shit across campus, and because Dom was twenty one. Because yep. if you get caught with it, they can't say jack shit. We get caught with it. Well, you and Brian wouldn't go to jail. <laughs> I would go to jail because I didn't go to Sydney. Hammond City was a different beast, though, back then. Like, it, it was so hit or miss. Like, sometimes, like, especially during, like, Greek Week or something, oh, like, you could walk across campus and it was just a free-for-all. Like, you know, whatever you did, you know, it is what it is. But on random nights, like, they would be like, yeah, you got to pour it out. And after we spent that much money and that much time and we're hauling it halfway across campus, we were not risking it getting poured out. <laughs> no, we weren't. So, a lot of so time, we like, money, a lot of fighting. Got <laughs> All right, let's turn it back. So again, this is going to be labeled reminiscing. Yeah. Again, for y'all who might be first time listeners, for y'all listen, me and Brian Siegel have known each other since middle school. I'm 37. Brian's 36. We've known each other more than 20 years. 
this is just one of many stories we have on each other. So, and we've done some dumb shit around each other. Some things will not be mentioned. Nope. Um, maybe our wives are the only other people that know it. If they weren't there, that's probably it. So, anyway, Brian, again, negative recruiting is going to be alive for us. And there's going to be some guys like Cannon Boone who's starting to get the interest. Probably DJ Harvey. Um more than a few other guys that are going to get that push from potentially bigger schools. And, you know, we sit here and we know the coaching staff is what it is. Um, and Brian, uh, let me ask this. You're, you're Justin Puente. Yep. Justin lives out next to the golf course. We know that we've heard that before. He's going to wake up tomorrow morning. He's got to go in. Sunday's a prep day for them, obviously. He's going to – I can't remember exactly where it is, but I'm going to assume 460. He's going to drive 460 in. He's going to turn into Merriman. He's going to park in that parking lot where you can see Lane Stadium. You can see scoreboard. You see drill field. You see all that fun stuff. And he's going to walk into his office, and he's going to open that door up, and he's going to sit down. It's probably going to be about 6 or 7 a.m. Brian, you're him. What do you do tomorrow? Because unless he's an idiot, which he might be, he knows. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he's an idiot in the terms of reading people, but I think he knows that this loss has probably pissed the fan base off, has potentially lost his team a little bit, a little bit. I think think for most, most people see this as the tipping point. And if I'm Fuente, I mean, Obviously, what what comes next above him is controlled by someone else. But if I'm him, I am evaluating myself and my staff to a degree that I've never done this far in my career. Um, I'm taking a long, hard look at situational uh, play calling. I'm taking a long, hard look at the preparation that we have and why we are consistently having poor starts against inferior competition and then having to play either from behind or neck and neck with these comp- with, with these opponents. Um, I'm looking at why we don't have the energy on the sideline and who in the coaching staff can bring some more juice. I'm looking at who we have in the booth and who we have on the sideline. Okay. Um, I'm taking a look at changing play call duties on offense. Well, Brian, me and you have been calling that for a while now. <laughs> We're not, this, it's not a shocking thing because today it's the same. It's this. All right. It's the same shit. It's not the entire game. It's, I hate to say this, believe it or not, where we went from Brian Steinspring to Brad Cornelson is actually, we went to fucking step up. Or Scott Loeffler or Mike O'Kane, who fuck called plays back in. And y'all, I'm almost tempted, like Brian, by the way, you know I had a shot beforehand. Hey, hey. that's what it's looking like over there in just about 90 minutes. Yeah, got, a little, got a little stack there. Got got a little, stack. I think we'll get another one in a few minutes here. But it is a step up. What it is now, and I think maybe if we – maybe if we weren't for Virginia Fett fans and we didn't pay attention – we wouldn't notice it. 
What it is now is the situational terrible ass calls. Today, and we mentioned it earlier, was at the end of the first half. You don't run a fade. You run the fucking ball because that is your strength. If they stop you, great. It ain't going to take eight fucking seconds to run a ball. You call your damn time out, you got to put your field, you know. But here's the thing about that. If you get in the end zone, you're up 10, and the momentum is completely shifted. They're down two scores, not one. The other one, and Brian, this pissed you off, and you're sitting here, and you're, you're telling me, unless you're fucking going for it, what the fuck are you doing calling that play? Are you talking about the quarterback lead on third down and six? Yes. The one we discussed yeah. earlier. Yeah, so if, if, if you are not going to go for it on fourth down, you do not call that play in that situation because the, they knew the defense was hurting at this point. They knew it. They had consistently not been able to get off the field unless they were forcing a turnover. Yep. So – You've you've got to have in your mind that you need to get a first down. Yep. And if you want to get a first down, it's third down and six. You got to call a play that gets you the first down. And if you don't call a play that's going to definitely get you a first down, you've got to have in your mind that you're going for it on fourth. And, you know, we've talked about it in a lot of the, the games this year. We consistently leave points on the field when we're having good drives. Yep. And we did it again today um, between the drive just before half, the drive we're discussing here. um, And then you couple that with opening the game and then opening the second half with just execution flaws and a, and, a, and a couple calls here or there that were questionable that gave that offense the ball back really quickly so they could score. True. I mean, you you, you put those things together, it's it's problematic, man. It's problematic. It's massively problematic. You know, the other piece is, especially with the you know the opening drive, and it's again, it's why it's a step up from where we were. The play on like third and seven of that opening drive was the right play. That was a poor execute. It wasn't. It was a poor executed play. Because if he hits Caleb Smith, you looked at that play after I told you, and we talked about it. If he hits that play to Caleb, Caleb has twenty yards because that yeah. zone was vacated. Because we essentially, we essentially ran off the safety and we ran off the corner from that spot. But the issue is, it's always the worst times. And somebody say, well, if it's the worst times, then you're not in a good position to win the game anyway. Well, for years upon years, we saw at times where it was just bad play calling all around. So, again, we took the step up where it's probably 85% the plays are okay. But what we see, and again, what we see as fans and what you see as a person who played is the plays that are the, – the terrible calls are at the worst times. If the terrible calls are what at the at the unopportune times, then it's okay. Sometimes what? you sometimes the best offensive play callers you see in the country and on the NFL, they'll do that shit just to make you make you think about it, right? Like you gotta think about oh, this yeah. shit right there. Cause I'll do that when y'all ain't thinking thinking about it. 
No doubt, man. And I think another thing that we need to look at is, you know, we we talk about the the situational awareness. I feel like is always lacking, but you know, sometimes I just don't feel like we have a plan, <laughs> and that we we like, for example, first play of the game is a jet sweep. I still like that that right there just felt like okay this is what we're doing this this is what we're doing they they just marched the fucking ball down the field and scored on us and your first call is a jet sweep I mean Curtis if 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 there's two plays that as a defensive coordinator for Liberty if I'm sitting making a game plan of saying what, what should I need to take away or what, what is this offensive tendency? Give me two plays that, that they would think to take away. No, I'm not an idiot. It's outside zone jet sweep. Yeah. Okay. So either, Hey, listen, defensive end, get up there, set that edge hard or Hey, linebackers, you see a jet sweep flow to it. Don't even worry about it. Just flow to it. And, but by the way, there are probably some offensive coordinators that would sit out there and say, uh, you know what I'm going to do, Brian? We're going to run jet sweep fake. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm either going to run a quarterback sweep on the opposite side, or or if you're really fucking creative, if you're really fucking creative, we're going to run the fake jet sweep. Hendon's going to roll like he's going to run. I'm going to let the left, the tight end and the left tackle sweep out, and I'm going to throw a damn screen. And there's not going to be anybody on that side of the field. Yep. Right. And I mean, we we ran our quarterback to death today, and that that bothered me too. Just because it's effective, like he's the quarterback, the entire offense runs through him. It's you can't true. just keep slamming him into the defense the entire game. And what bothers me more than that is that it's almost like our play caller does not trust Blackshear or Holston to get yards for them. At no point did, did our offensive coordinator do anything to get them comfortable in the game plan today. It was all, well, we don't have Herbert. A couple early plays to our running backs were negative, despite one of them being on the coordinator for calling a dumbass reverse. Uh <laughs> when we didn't, we weren't really at that point yet where, where that type of play call should come into play. And then it gets blown up and then you completely go away from your running backs until the drive just before halftime. And then you come out in the second half and you really kind of go away from them more or less. Again, I think we had one or two drives where we finally got Blackshear involved, uh, getting some carries there in the second half, but, it was kind of too little too late. Like the running backs never got in rhythm and the quarterbacks, the quarterback ended up having to put the entire damn offense on his back. And he did. For, if, yeah, if, he, did. he did. And he did. And he played a hell of a game. If we don't have Hendon today, that game isn't even close. Yeah. If we don't have Hendon and Trey Turner, because Trey Turner a few times a Trey, day. Trey, Trey had a good game. He, he, yeah, uh, he had a good game. Yeah. So I mean I've got I've got nothing 
really bad I can say about Trey's day. I feel bad for Tay for muffing the punt. I mean, that was a really big, big swing in the game. And that, that was one that, you know, against a team like Duke that doesn't really have firepower you can get away with that against a team like Liberty is going to make you pay for it because you can't get them off the field outside of that. So, well, where it hurt more was the location. Where he lost it at the Duke game was further up the field, which was okay. When it's inside the five, it's killer. And it's it just seems like it's a mental thing with him. Because we've seen him take the freaking punt with somebody three yards from him and make a move and get 15 yards. So, you know, I think that's just one of those weird things, Brian. But I'm going to say this, Brian. You talk about what – and I bring I brought the question to you. What does he do tomorrow morning? Yeah, tomorrow morning. We're not went that long yet. Yeah, not yet. Not yet. But I cracked another beer if you didn't hear it while I walked over to the beer fridge there because I'm going to eventually probably be smashed when I go upstairs and my wife's going to probably kick me or something or the little one's going to wake up at four and I'm not going to be able to go back to sleep. So I'm just going to wake up drunk. Hey, I'm going to say this. We lit up for Jay Handle, but, and they should be lit up. It's, It's true. They should be lit up. But right now the defensive after me is just off limits. There's no – everybody's new there. Everybody. I don't think you can ask them or take any of their duties away. And some people can say, well, Tracy Clay sucks. Linebackers are playing like shit. Well, when what we're trying to do is change and go from what we did so well for so many years into our modernized defense that can help – that's a face mask um, – that can help prevent huge scores quickly, it's going to be things like that that are going to happen. So, you know, I, I can't put any of the blame on those guys. But then I sit here I, and I, 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 put, I put the blame on them, but I understand where you're coming from, where it's still too soon to – I think it's time to start, like, having a conversation, but I, I think it's too soon to say these guys have to go. I you guess the, at this point, like, the bigger question is that, like, are we at the tipping point where we're looking at the whole staff? Well, you have to look at the whole staff. I think that's anybody that is worth their weight will look at their entire staff and say, you've got to do this better. You've got to do this better. Um, so uh, let, let's take it a step further. If you're, if you're wit, are you looking at making a change? Oh, head coaching wise? Yes. Oh, God. Um. Well, Brian, I, I said it a couple weeks ago that my, my confidence in the head coach had faded, and it's still there. The confidence has still faded. Um, and I think what it's even more after today is the light at the end of the tunnel where um, in 2016, we legitimately felt like this is we've got the right guy. We've got the right system. We're going to compete with Clemson in a few years once everybody's here. 2017, it didn't change. It didn't. Yeah. And even in 2018, with all that stuff, well, we're playing a lot of young guys. Last year, it, it came down, but then Henning kind of brought it back up. But after the two losses this year, it's like, I honestly, I said it today and I tweeted it today and I'll say it again. 
I feel like God's telling us he's not the right person to be a head coach, especially after the shit that happened. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm right there with you. I mean, so here's where I'm at. I, I'm if 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 we if we have the expectations that I think we should, which is consistently ten win seasons, consistently, yeah, consistently playing for ACC championships. Um, I'm not saying we have to be Clemson. I'd like to get there, but I'm not saying we have to be that. But we need to be at least what we were kind of in the Logan Thomas years. Okay. Especially especially the, the David Wilson Logan Thomas year. Okay. Um, we need to be there. If we're not there consistently, to me, that's a problem. And now I don't think necessarily it's one thing or another, but – I. You know, everyone in the offseason and everyone, especially with what the 2020 class looked like, was bitching about the recruiting. I don't like the recruiting either, but I would much rather have bad recruiting than the shit that we that happened today. Yep. And I don't necessarily think one is byproduct of the other, because regardless of the recruiting, we had better overall players on the field today. And we did not play them in a whether it's execution by the players where the coach is putting them in place, we did not play well enough to win that game. We did not. And that's a coaching thing, and that's a coaching thing that has nothing to do with recruiting. Nope. So it's not just the recruiting that we're pointing the finger at here. I can live with a top 30 class if we're overplaying that hand. You can't live with this shit when you're, when you're putting guys in horrible fucking positions, making guys do things they shouldn't fucking do. Yeah, and then again, there, there's no there's no excuse for a team with the talent that we have to lose to Liberty and to lose to Wake this season. It's true. And that, that, so that's that's where I'm at. So wh- where I'm at is that if someone said if someone said that Whit Badcock was looking at moving on from Fuente, I would say I'm fine with that. But but I'll throw a caveat in there. Our problems are not just going to go away with the new head coach. Nope. Because some some of the problems that we are dealing with are systemic. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's been a hot word for the last few months, man. Yes, it has. We we have some (laughs) systemic problems with where our expectations are and where our investment is. So – I'm with everyone that if, if everyone wants to fire Fuente and that's what Whit Babcock decides to go with, thumbs up, okay? But I need to see a plan both from who you're going to hire, how much you're going to pay them, are you going to pay enough to actually get a hire that is worthy to change coaches for, and once you get them in the damn building, are you going to invest in the program enough for them to have success? I think that's a reasonable request if you're going to make the choice to fire a coach. Because if you don't have a damn game plan of what happens next, I mean, if, if we're going to have to recalibrate our expectations, we might as well keep our fucking current coach. There you go. It's true. Let him go but out. If wanna, if, but if you're going to if you're going to keep your the same expectations we have now and you want to fire the coach, we need a plan to get to to where we're at. And as Brian was finishing his statement, I told him to look at the TV. Notre Dame just sacked Ukulele, Ukulele twice. They're at the 40-yard line. It is third and like 
Fucking forever. Third mile. Third twenty-five. Third twenty-five. So it's crazy. But no, Brian, I'm Ooh. with you. Ooh, that tackle got beat up. Yeah. <laughs> he got fucked up. Question is, he threw a lookout block. He 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 turned around and said, "Look out." Well, they got in field goal range. Oh, he said, did he pick that ball? Whoa, whoa, no, they didn't. No, okay. That was weird as shit. But no, 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 I'm with you. But I, I will say this. As much as, as much as it's true that a, you're good with the firing, I, I, I'm, I'm just about on that too. If they fire him at the end of the season, I, I won't be upset. It sucks because I do think we have a good head coach. I think we have a guy that would have benefited with a few more veteran guys around him that have been in head coaching roles before. Um, but I'll say this, I think, Brian. I, th- I think he would have been better if he was able to bring the coordinator that's currently at Texas A&M instead yeah, of <laughs> If you would have been able to bring – well, remember, Dickie was a play caller. He was a play yeah. caller after the first two seasons after for one two was there. So more better than Dickie's older too. But you talk about all the stuff that has to happen. I think a right head coach could do that. We do know his personality isn't about the fundraising, isn't about, you know, all this, all that. Notre Dame's going nuts. It's crazy. The, the students have said, fuck the bullshit. We're all getting down here on the sideline together. Fuck that. <laughs> Love that. Um, but a right coach could fix things. And everybody's like, well, what's the right coach? Well, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, and I've texted you and some people, Todd Grantham, Dave Clawson, guy playing defensive coordinator at um, Clemson right now, Clark Lee, 37 years old, a freaking whole, you better, you better, you better go backwards. You better go backwards. Clark Lee, um, you know, but I texted Grantham Clawson and Kevin Wilson. And only Kevin Wilson's in there because he's at Ohio State and he is the offensive coordinator and they're rushing the field and they do not care. Good for them. By the way, Brian, that sucks because that's probably going to be the ACC championship now. But still, great fucking – that's what college football – I'm stopping right now. That's what college football is about. That. That. For folks – it is 11.44 on the East Coast. That is what college football is all about. You rush the field when you take down number one. You rush it. You got to love the energy, man. You got to love the energy. The energy. Again, I mean, this, all right, I'm going I'm to stop for a second, Brian, because I want to get into something. You asked me my favorite sports. College football is 1-1. There is no emotion like that in professional football. There's no emotion like that in just about any football with the exception of March Madness. There's not. Yep. And we have been in that, dude. In Lane State, we have been in that. That's what makes this sport, in my opinion, and if you're a professional football one-on-one because of fantasy and because of all that, that's fine. Because you're seeing the elite of the elite do a sport that's great. But that right there, and you're seeing it right now, the green, right? 
the green wave. Yep. Oh, yeah. You don't see that on professional fields. Nope. And they're showing the Charlie Ward play for 93. That's one of the first college football games I can remember in my lifetime. Not having fans this year has sucked so much. That's what we're missing. That's a big part of it, man. I know we talked about it a little bit earlier in in the recording, but um, Lane Stadium is different, man. Being in Lane is different. I've been in a lot of stadiums, man. Um, I've been in pro stadiums. I've been in a bunch of college stadiums. And obviously, I've I've been in D3 atmospheres a bunch, too, which don't compare in terms of the number of fans, obviously. But sometimes those uh, – it can still be rowdy, man. So I, I've, I've been in that, and, and the passion is different. Like it you is. said, man, it, it's different. And Lane specifically is different. And, you know, regardless of how you feel about this season or how you feel about Fuente or how you feel about these players and this team, missing that sucks. Yes, it does. Full stop. No doubt. Years ago, Brian, and I I can't find the clip, and I wish it could be out there. By the way, give them credit. I'm seeing more masks in that crowd than I expect to see. So kudos (laughs) to the better team. Kids. But um, the honest truth is, Scott Van Pelt years ago, it had to be early 2000s. He literally went through all the stuff, and I know we're we're rambling, folks, but I don't I don't I don't care because it's got to be said. He went through all the stuff with college football. What what makes college football great? And he mentioned like inner Sandman, unbelievable. The sway at Texas A&M, jump around at Wisconsin. Hitting the M at Michigan, dotting the I. When they sway in the third quarter, UVA, we hate them, but you know what? That's special. You know, Rammer Jammer down at Alabama, unbelievable. The Gator Chomp, the Hedges. When we started this podcast, it's a Virginia Tech podcast. It is a college football podcast. So that's why we do different games every week. And if you said in any of those stadiums, and I've got a list, the cocktail party was today. I want to get in that at least one time before I die because apparently yes. you go down there and literally die because it's nuts. And they don't break out in fist fights. But that's what it's all about. And I'm ready for next year, and hopefully this shit gets over with. Me and you can get into Lane Stadium and jump. In H O K I E S Hokies, and maybe just maybe we can stick it in. Well, <laughs> you know what? If I'm Justin Fuente right now with all the shit going on, I go to wed and be like, "We're bringing that back." I don't give a fuck. And you're gonna yeah. put out. <laughs> but anyway, he can lick my ball sack. <laughs> let's go. I'm also back, and I'm gonna read. Brian, don't edit any of this out because it's going to be fucking awesome. But I think the right coach could fix things. I think if you have somebody come in there and literally look at Sands and say, Wit, this is what we're going to do. You're going to shut down those six sports. I don't care. And if you don't, I'm not going to come here. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go out on social media and say, I wanted to come to Virginia Tech because the tradition of what Frank Beamer built, 
And what Bud Foster and that staff built, those staffs in the 90s, the 99 team, I was going to come here. But you know what? He wouldn't do anything to invest in football. That's what I'd do if I wanted. Now, Brian, you said something earlier. You've got to have some, uh, you gotta have some big dick energy to pull that off, though. There's only probably a handful of guys that I think would want the job that could pull some shit off like that. It'll be interesting to see if we can uh, sweeten the pot enough, both on the direct compensation side and on the program investment side, to make them see Virginia Tech as the place they want to be. Um Obviously, there are some alums that I think would potentially look at it with a little uh, softer side, especially from the direct compensation perspective. Um, it's true. But I don't know if, if if they will have the chops to pull off the program investment uh, side of the of the coin there. Um, again, they they might be able to. It's just. I feel like we need to have that level of investment and pride regardless of having a coach coming, come in and say, this is what I need because at this point they should fucking know. And honestly, Fuentes told them he's not doing a good enough job of probably pushing it, but I think he's, he's certainly told them I need this to be as successful as you want us to be. Um, And I think honestly he does because he's not a natural recruiter and he's not a guy that is driving a lot of direct donations um, based on some of the product we've put out the last few years. So he does need (laughs) all the help he can get on the financial front, whether it's, um, you know, new facilities, whether it's actual recruiting dollars, whether it's more money for his staff, um, to build that out. I still can't get over the, like, we couldn't come up a hundred K to get Odom <laughs> like that. <Yeah. laughs> That's still blowing my mind. Um, so, you know, at some point we need to address everything. I mean, I know we, I, I definitely think coaching is a problem, but coaching is also bearing the brunt of the scapegoat here as well. Um, so until we change a lot of things about the program, I don't think that we're going to see a significant bump in, uh, in output on the field. Um, that's, that's just how I see it. Uh, Again, if if y'all say you want to fire Fuente, I'm right there with you at this point, but I want to see a plan that goes beyond just bring a new guy in because I need to hear who that guy is going to be and what the plan is to invest in the program so that person has success. Until yeah. I hear that, I, I'm still like, okay, well, cool. But, you know, if we hire another guy and he ends up going six and seven, are, going, are we going to be doing this again in three years? And that's what you don't want to get into. And I think maybe the thing about Justin Fuente that happened in 2016, if he had walked in and seen what was going on behind the scenes, it should have been day one pushing. We need these new positions, but he, I don't think he's that type of guy. I think he felt like, well, they'll see it. They'll see it. Right. They'll, they'll see that we're going to probably, we're going to hit some hard times. And we did. And now, but it's more on you as a leader, as the coach of the football team. It's like, we need X, Y, and Z to get there. 
yeah, we had a great first season because we had some really good players here, but we need X, Y, and Z to stay here. And for him, unfortunately, it took until 2020, January of 2020, for all this to happen. Chaos breaks out. You don't get to put the full plan in place. Um, and then somebody, was it Fish? The B Fish that made the point that he looked up that 15 years ago we had one of the highest paid staffs in the country, and today we're like 37. I feel like he put that out there a few weeks ago. Yeah, I believe so. I think you're right. Uh, shout out right. B Fish on Twitter there. Um, yeah, he he talked about it, and, and we, let's go back and do a little history lesson here. Um, yeah. You know, we've talked about it before with uh, you know Frank Beamer having a flirtation with UNC. Yeah, uh, coming coming back and saying, you know, if if you're going to keep me, we need to do this. And the big part of that was paying Bud Foster, paying the assistants, essentially being having one of the highest, if not the highest uh, assistant staff in the country. And, <laughs> you know, we moved from that in the mid 2000s to now, you know, playing catch up with like mid ass teams. And we are surprised that the output on the field has dipped relative to, um, you know, where, where those staffing and, uh, and recruiting dollars are being spent. So, you know, like I said, I love the energy that people have in terms of the passion about, you know, this is unacceptable. I'm right there with you. This is unacceptable. What happened today is unacceptable and it is a coaching problem. And I'm 100% with that. Um, but I think it's naive to think that you can just hire any coach and that's going to change the situation. It's true, man. It's true. And where we were 20 plus years ago was a different era of college football. And it was the money was different. And then where we were 15 years ago, the money's different. Fo- college football has become a corporation. And if you don't want it like a corporation, you will essentially fail. And, so far, we haven't ran it like a corporation in the last 10 years where I hate to say this, maybe because Davo came from corporate real estate. He saw it. That's how he started running it when he got hired 10 years ago. And that's why they have been so successful. And it's not going to go back, folks. You're not going to turn the clock back and it's not going to be like that anymore. So oh, Sands think there's a bubble, man. Sands think there's a bubble. So he's just waiting out the bubble. Well, here's the question. If he, says he, said, a, he said he was waiting out the bubble. He put that shit in writing. Okay, so he put it in writing. We're gonna we're gonna wait out the bubble. What's the bubble? It's a goddamn pandemic year. There's no bubble. College football ratings are still absolutely insane. Like, do do you know what that means? That means there's going to be more money coming down for these TV contracts because it's even more insane. Right. Yep. I mean, let's be for real. Like it's it's still going to be more insane. Like last weekend. I, you ready to hear this, Brian? Yep. Clemson pulled Clemson BC on ABC. That's a yep. high noon game, right? Yeah. So Clemson in a, in a mid ass ACC team. Four point three million viewers. The Michigan game pulled a damn 4.2 million viewers. Texas, Oklahoma State, which was at 4.4 million viewers. You start looking at this, and you start looking at the nighttime games between Ohio State, Penn State, Oklahoma, Texas Tech, 
Alabama, Mississippi State. Oklahoma, oh, excuse me, Ohio State, Penn State pulled six and a half million viewers. Oklahoma, Texas, oh, excuse me, Oklahoma State, Tech, oh, excuse me, shit. Oklahoma, Texas A&M pulled 2.1 million viewers. Mississippi, Alabama State, 2.2 million viewers. Minnesota, Maryland pulled a million point nine. That's 13 fucking million people. Yep. It's it's not busting, dude. It's going to get bigger. And let, let's talk about the Clemson game again. So Clemson, yes, they're number one team. In terms of the draw player, their biggest draw player wasn't fucking playing in that game. I know you might talk about the, you know, the curiosity f- effect of you know wanting to see what ukulele can do. But their biggest talent in terms of draw wasn't even playing in the game, and they pulled those numbers against a middling. ACC opponent. So guess what, Tim's saying? And there's no telling what the game that we just watched is going to end up pulling. Oh, I, I guarantee you that pulls. <laughs> if, if last week was six and a half million, I guarantee you that's nine and a half tomorrow. I'll look it up. But either way, Brian, the bubble's not going to burst. And whether you want to fire Justin Fuente tonight, which if somebody told me and you today that's going to happen, we'd be like, okay, but who's the next guy? What's playing? That should be the question. Not so much who gets fired, but what's the plan? Because yeah. it's a lot of money to buy him out. We're going to be $50 million I, I, I think, this year. Yeah, I think everybody's at the tipping point where if the if the money is there to do it, they're okay with doing it. But again, I think I think we're we're in the in the mode where cool, but let me see what the plan's going to be. Uh, and as long as long as that's good, then we can kind of move forward and see what happens next. Um, but I'm, I'm not of the mind that you can fire Fuente and expect that someone's going to come in with the salaries that we're offering and all of a sudden it's going to be sunshine and roses. So, um, I'm definitely still tempering my expectations if that's the case. Yeah, it's it. You can't just have the right guy. It can't. If that happens, it has to be fucking perfect, and that's not going to happen more than likely. It's got to be a long term plan to say we're gonna we're we were here. Now we're here. We're gonna get back to here. Here's how we're gonna get back to here. And if that happens, yes, it's potential to get back to where we were. Yeah. Um, But I think at this point, I mean. I'm, I'm with the people that saying they're ready to move on only because at this point, if things don't change, you know, every year we keep drawing this out, we're losing a little bit more of our cachet yep. uh, and, and any leverage we have to, to lure a, a better or at least a more capable um, coach here. Um, if the status quo remains the same, um, because right now, you know, we're, we're paying, you know, top 40 money and we have top 20 expectations. There's not a lot of, and, and, and probably in terms of investment in the whole program, maybe even top 50, there's not a whole lot of coaches that are going to see that and say, I want to come know, here. All, all the benefits of Blacksburg are worth 
the negatives that are coming along that I just mentioned there. So um, I, I feel like we definitely, if, if, if we keep seeing this, like pretty much at this point, unless we went out, um, you know, I think this year has been subpar unacceptable in terms of, of where I thought we would be and what, what I thought we would do and where we would end up. The so, only thing that saves this year is cousin. If, if Witt still feels confident as I cannot think of the guy's name who was under Frank back in 92, the guy lost his job in 95 or he quit in 95. If he doesn't come out and say, I think this is more COVID than anything. I think it was so funky. I think it was so fucked up that nobody could do anything good. We had, we didn't have our stadium here. We couldn't travel normal. We couldn't do any. Everything was so far off normal. I'm giving him another year. And, you know, if he comes and says it, we'll probably be okay. But I think our issue will become if next year stadium's full and, you know, we're eight and four again. People will be like, there's no difference, man. Yeah, well, I mean, next year we're talking about probably no Herbert. True. We're talking about probably um, no Christian no Derisaw. Yeah, no Christian Derisaw. Um, we're talking about uh, who else do you think is going to go? I think that's it. Rook might leave, but the way Rook's played this year, his stock's not going to be as far up because even more so this year for Rook. It showed in probably more of an NFL-based system. He's yeah. not strong, and that hurts him. So he might say, no, I'm going to come back because I think I can do better in this system next year. And screw it. If I don't, I'll get my master's in something and be further educated. Yeah. So, yeah, so that, that's what you're looking at right now. Um, so I don't know if we're as good or better next year than this year. But if we're still losing these dumb shit ass games like this today, yep. I mean, it's it's going to be a bad look, and it's going to be something that if it's not addressed this year, it's going to be addressed next year. And like I said, yep. every year that we end up putting out eight and four or worse, you know, Blacksburg loses a lo- loses a little bit more luster, man. And there's only there's only so long we can live off of. You know, Mike Vick, Frank Beamer, Bud Foster, and Inner Sandman. There's only so long we can log off from 95 to 2010 or 2011. Yeah. Because right now, I mean, you know, we're we're still recruiting off of what we were then and not what we are now. And even and, though I didn't say that. Every, every year that we are further away from that, that gets that, – that's that selling point is a little bit weaker. You know what makes me sad, though? Because we talked about it a couple weeks ago. What we're selling now on offense is so superior to what it was 10, 15 years ago. And that's what makes me sad. And, you know, if you tell me tomorrow they're firing him, you know, hey, you got to do what you got to do. Our light's so small. So, yeah. Brian, anything broken other than Notre Dame upsets number one Clemson, 47-40, that we were watching here. 
And if you folks are wondering, that's why I went on my tangent. <laughs> As those kids raided the field. They raided the field. We talked about that. And then we talked about just college football. I mean, this is the reason you guys are listening to us talk. And <laughs> we appreciate and it. Now, it, it, it's, it's the reason that we pay money to go to the games. It's the reason that we pay money to go to the tailgates. I mean, this shit makes you feel good. Even yeah. even even when you lose, when talking about it still kind of makes you feel good. So, you know, for what it's worth, you know, that that's something that hopefully we can move move back towards once once we figure things out with this COVID thing, guys. So um because that's definitely missed this year, like I said, win or lose. So um yeah, I think that's going that that's all I really got to say about it, buddy. Well, let's wrap it up, man. That'll take care of this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. Longer than usual, but a lot going on in our heads tonight. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook. Subscribe for our podcast on your favorite source, including Spotify, Amazon, hey, Music. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And as always, he plays us in. He plays us out every week. His name is Jason Long. He lives in the NRV. Please check him out at Bloom Restaurant and Wine Bar on the 19th of this month with one of his shows. Check him on Spotify and Apple Music as well. And as always, win or lose, let's go. Hokies. Spend my youth just rambling around, burning that road from town to town. But days are long and these nights grow cold. Pretty soon these lives are starting to get old. Hey!